This is the DX Podcast, proudly presented by Wondrous. On this episode, Mirko and Peter speak with Rabia Kuhn. All right. Hey, Rabia, um, very nice to have you here. It's a pleasure to have you on. Maybe uh, I'll do a quick introduction of how uh, we know you, and then you can introduce yourself a bit further. So... We know you, or uh, Wondrous knows you, as a project manager and product manager of, uh, from one of our partners that we work with often uh, for clients. And uh, I've worked with you on a couple projects, and uh, so I have a couple other people from Wondrous. And uh, we got the idea that you'd be a great podcast guest because you're an interesting person, and I think you do a lot of interesting stuff with your life next to work. Um, and uh, we'd love to talk t- to you about that. You're also a comedian and you have a podcast of your own and you tell me you're um, active in charity. So um, that's basically all I know about you. So why don't you tell me a bit more? Uh, just just start um, Yeah, who you are, where you're from, uh, how your career's going, what, what is your career for you, um, what's work, um, and we'll go from there. So yeah, I, like, like Mirko said, I'm Rabia. I started working with Wondrous um, as part of my company, 3Share, when I moved over to London at the beginning of 2020, which was amazing timing because, <laughs> you know, I got to spend a year and a half in a studio flat in a new city. But before that, I lived in California. I grew up there and came most recently from San Diego. And um, prior to that, I had lived also in New York City and Dallas, so I'd kind of been all over the place. And I'm a project manager at 3Share, but I also, on the side, I do comedy. I've been doing stand-up comedy as a traditional kind of observational comedian for about two and a half years. And I also started a podcast during lockdown, which I think a lot of people did, <laughs> um, but in, in October of last year. And that's going pretty well. I mean, that's something I'd wanted to do for a long time, and I just wanted to get the right theme for it. And then you mentioned charity. Uh, charity works a big thing for me, volunteering and fundraising. And so even for comedy, like I'm working on a solo show right now, and proceeds, some of the proceeds for my ticket sales to go to charity. So that pretty much sums me up. All right, then uh, that's a wrap. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so you're from... Um, yeah, you live in San Diego and you went to university in San Diego, right? And you did uh, political science, um, but you didn't like go full into politics. What happened there? No, well, I mean, and this was before you would end up with stuff on your phone that people might access that you would want them to. But I just kind of it didn't, you know, it didn't stick for me. Um, I wanted to be a lawyer. And so political science was the major that you did when you wanted to be a lawyer. And I changed my mind after doing an internship at a district attorney's office in uh, where I grew up and just um, actually saw some guys indicted on a murder charge that I went to junior high with. And it kind of changed my whole perspective on the law, honestly, and just the legal system. But um, and then I just ended up with a career in IT. So I've done some stuff in politics like locally, but uh, I just kind of ended up pursuing, well, first customer service and operations, then IT. Cool. How, how do you land in IT? How do, how, how do you get to be a product manager? I, do you have to be really organized? Or? <laughs> Probably more organized than I am, honestly. <laughs> 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 but, 
but yeah, it's like I had to choose that I want to be organized at work or at home. And so I chose work, I guess. But um, I just, I fell into it really. I think it was part of my natural skill set just became to see problems and want to solve them. And then I'm not super technical. I didn't train as a developer and I, I haven't learned that much. I know a little bit enough to annoy developers, but not enough to actually be one. And so it just happened over time. I started out, my first job was actually, well, I was substituting for the HR person at the dining housing and dining department in, um, in college. Cause I worked in the cafeteria in college and then I ended up in housing and dining. This woman went on maternity leave and they're like, yeah, Robbie, you want to come over here? You just graduated, hang out with us. And so I did work there and I did not fit into HR. So that was just a no-go because I'm more of an HR challenge probably than I am, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And then I ended up in a call center at a e-commerce. It was called Pro Flowers and they were a disruptor, you know, 20 years ago in the floral industry. And they truly were because they did this like from the grower model where they were shipping flowers in a box rather than like, I don't know, the traditional florist model. And so I ended up in their call center working overnight and I slowly worked my way up into supervisor and then operations. And then I ended up in the warehouse management side and kind of, that's where I really got into more technical implementations and training people and stuff. And you had to manage projects in a small way. And, and then I moved to New York and I ended up, taking a job as a product owner for a mobile app, but I had never worked in mobile. I just kind of said, yes, I can do this and then did it (laughs) over time. Um, And I still don't know how, but uh, yeah. So I ended up in product and changing my career there. And then I'm now a project manager more or less, but um, I always had that kind of skill of just being able to talk to consumers and, you know, kind of test and solve problems and stuff and stay a little bit organized. Yeah. Cool. And uh, how, do, how do you get into in a comedy and to be in a stand-up? Something you wanted to do for a long time? Yeah. Yeah, with stand-up, I mean, I was always kind of the funny one of my friends, you know? And, um, I mean, Mirko, we've worked together enough. You know, I'm, I rarely, like, stay serious in a conversation the entire time. Even when I'm angry, I just start making, like, meaner jokes, I guess. Um, but... I, I always wanted to do it and and I wanted to be a writer too. Like when I was in college, when I was studying poli sci, I took a year and basically did writing instead and then just didn't have the guts to pursue it. And so about, well, now it's about eight years ago or 10 years ago, I told myself, look, by the time you're 40, you have to be on stage once. Like it was just a goal I set for myself rather than get married or something like that. It was this other goal. And so it was in the 11th hour, like it was basically the year I was turning 40. So two and a half years ago, two months before I finally took the stage for the first time, I signed up for a course, which you don't really need to do a course. If anyone listening wants to do stand up, you don't need a course for it because it won't make you funny. It'll just make you know how to like move the mic stand out of the way, basically, Um, (laughs) you know, and and which you still can't do if the cords tangled around it. But that's another problem. But like. Yeah, I just said I have to try this once and I kind of got over myself. I was concerned about, oh, you know, things, stupid things like, oh, am I attractive enough to be on stage? And first of all, comedians don't have to be attractive anyway. I mean, they've proven that over time. But, um, you know, (laughs) 
I just stuff like that and um or would I be funny? Will other people besides my friends think I'm funny and got all over all that and just did it. And it's been great. It's been a lot of fun and hard too. And you so you started out doing that in London then? Mm-mm. No, so I actually did that in California in San Diego. Oh, okay. And yeah, so I was doing comedy for about a year before I moved here to London. And then I was probably out in clubs, like at open mic nights for a month and a half before we went into the first lockdown. And so then it was Zoom gigs for until recently, just on Zoom. So now you have a global audience. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah. A lot of people didn't want to do the Zoom gigs. They just said, well, I'm waiting. And, you know, for me, it was a good chance to keep writing and keep practicing and mm-hmm. I developed some Zoom specific material, which you know, but isn't that in- uh, only works? Isn't that incredibly difficult to feel the audience? Because isn't that something that's like is is extremely important for a stand up comedian is to is to kind of feed off the audience as well. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, it does. No, I mean it was awful sometimes because it depended on the gig. Like sometimes people would unmute and be on camera, and you would be seeing them and be aware of you know, basically, yeah, just be aware of their reaction to you. And sometimes like no one's on camera and you're just talking to like a blank screen and you don't hear any feedback. And it's hard to tell if you bombed or not. I think you just have to kind of come in with a certain level of swag and just say, (laughs) yeah, I know my material is awesome and I know I'm funny and I'm just going to tell it. And it's a weird thing. And especially like a lot of comics. I mean, there's this whole reputation we have of being, you know, having mental health stuff going on or just having like frail egos and stuff. And I think that's all true, but, but you're, what I didn't know about stand up comedy before I did it was, and this is going to sound stupid and it sounds stupid the way I'm phrasing it, but it, you are performing and you're a performer and you have a persona and it's not you. And it appears to be you and your friends will think it's you, but it's really a persona you've built and it could sound exactly like you and everything, but it's just not. And so you just kind of come in with that, that thing that's not the person that you're at work or that you that you know will be sitting on the tube later but it's just the person that's performing and so yeah you just I I could still tell when I didn't feel good about something but overall I'm just like yeah I guess it went well you know no one reacted and I have to accept that (laughs) it's it's weird of course but do you think it's also kind of helped your uh, career in in product uh, management and and project management that that I don't know this the way you approach things like that as well Well, I think that because I am so used to now just walking into a room and introducing myself to someone who I've never met before and then going on stage and performing and seeing people that I've never seen before and just kind of doing that. And that's probably the most vulnerable I am is when I'm on stage, um, you know, other than in my personal life. And so, yeah, it's given me kind of like a different idea of, I wouldn't say confidence, but just a different level of knowing that I can interact with people and be okay. And I'm not as nervous now to meet new people. Um, when I used to do a project kickoff or something, I'd be super nervous to meet the client. I'd be super nervous, like to meet who we're working with. And now it's just kind of, I can just be one of the people who's more comfortable with that and just, Hey, how's it going? And, you know, interact with them pretty quickly. Um, it can also get me in trouble, I guess, in my jobs if I joke around too much and I don't do my work. Like, I have to be decent at my job <laughs> because of my personality, in a way. <laughs> you know? 
which I can say that for difficult personalities too, like that are more difficult than me. Um, but yeah. Yeah. It's a whole, um, like a, like a genius film director or something can get away with anything just because he's a genius mm-hmm. and be a huge asshole. Mm-hmm. I guess being, <laughs> being really funny is, is the other end of that spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah or I'm, maybe I'm, I'm, I could be also a huge asshole. I mean, I know I am sometimes. So like those <laughs> things too, but yeah. <laughs> but do you feel it, do you feel it kind of helps you get away with things as well? Oh yeah. But I mean, even as a kid, right? Like, um, I, some of my, the solo show I'm working on, I kind of go back. I, I had to dig back through the memory and see like some patterns of my behavior that I want to introduce. And, um, I'm not talking about it too much, but like, I used to get in trouble in school. Like I always got straight A's. I was kind of, you know, I don't know, kind of a nerd and got, always did well, got high marks, all that. And, but I would always get in trouble for talking too, you know? And like one thing, like we were watching Gandhi, the film with Ben Kingsley. And there was like a mix of like the honors students. We have like this concept of like your honors classes or regular classes. And the honors students were in the same class as the non-honors students at that point. It was in high school. And so we were supposed to set a better example for the other kids, which was just so ridiculous. It's like just, you know, we're just all in the same class anyway. And so our teacher was like, oh, you have to take notes during the film, which again, it's like we're watching a film of this guy and he's a very interesting man. To me, it's one of the most profoundly boring films I've ever seen, which <laughs> that could be a controversial opinion, but I didn't like it. So I started drawing the many hairstyles of Gandhi and my friends still remember this. And I'm not an artist, but I did pretty well. And I just kept drawing him with his different hair. And then my other, my friends kept looking and laughing and then I got kicked out of class for it, you know, and she expected better of me. So those things got me in trouble. Um, I had one teacher accuse me of being like a revolutionary leader. It was during Spanish class. And I was like, I don't even know what that means, but it was just because I would make jokes. Like we'd have to do these dialogues every week where we'd have to like write a script using a verb. And I always make mine funny. And so then people would laugh and it would distract everyone. So I was a revolutionary leader. I mean, so yeah, it's gotten me in trouble and it gets, it probably gets me in a little bit of trouble at work sometimes too and do you think like uh, if you if you spoke to your teacher from back then now would they be surprised at at where you're at or do you think they'd be like oh that kind of makes sense actually i would say they wouldn't be surprised just because i know um being a nerd from way back um i know a couple of my teachers still oh my god really yeah yeah i was that kid who would go back and be like hey just finished my first year of school how's it going you know um, and so, no, I mean, one of my old teachers actually came to a gig of mine too. Um, but no, I was, I'm kind of the same person in a way. It's, it's funny. I, I've been pretty consistently the same, like consistently with volunteering for things and consistently with, um, joking around and stuff. But I, I definitely was not a performer in school and I, I definitely, uh, didn't have the confidence to do that, I guess. Um, I was more of like a subversive, just sitting in the back, whispering to whoever would listen so they could hear my, you know, it's kind of what we do now on chats or whatever, I guess, you know, I mean, I don't, I hope no one's surprised in hearing that when people are in meetings, they chat to each other sometimes. No, really? (laughs) Yeah. Just make sure you put it in the right chat, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And that these people don't have Slack notifications coming up on screen at the same time. The one that you're sending yeah. them. 
Dude, I had one of my colleagues, this was crazy. He was getting a procedure done and he's like, goes, hey, I scheduled my vasectomy and it went like everybody saw it. And I was like, and I just go, he's responsible. And I just closed it. I didn't know what to do. I mean, it was just kind of like, you know. <laughs> yeah, on the project we're working on, um, Esther got in, in a bit of confusing situation, right? With some of the similar <laughs> we're doing uh... <laughs> Yes. I won't say exactly what. Um, yeah. So how how did you land? How did you land in London? How do you what 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 pulled you towards London? Oh, and yeah. at that time, yeah. So actually, my company, um, the company I work for, like has a you know presence globally. I mean, we're we've been remote for over ten years, and so. But um, we have clients all over the place. And I had just, I had been over to Europe. I, I stayed in Madrid for like three months to work on one client engagement. And then I came over to London a couple of times just because of my specific skill set, I guess, and ability to work with people. Um, even though I've kind of discounted my ability to work for people during this whole podcast, like I'm pretty decent at it. And so I just ended up getting different projects over here sometimes and having to come over. And so finally they just asked hey would you be interested in moving relocating to london or you know to europe if if if, if not london and uh, be in that time zone and i i said sure and so they asked me though um actually like in 2019 but it just took a year to get everything done from all the paperwork and all the transfer and everything and so i thought i would move around the middle of 2019 and then it didn't end up happening until you know uh january of 20. 20 so perfect timing (laughs) (laughs) yeah amazing you know (laughs) all right i I remember um yeah speaking to um yeah a couple of people from your from three share uh like how they're handling the situation they're like oh we've been fully remote for years it's nothing new yeah that's that's pretty cool so so you didn't have much of an adjustment right i mean you just didn't leave the apartment and that was all but you'd never had an office to go to in that sense, right? Yeah, we would have to go to clients every once in a while. But um, overall, no. I mean, we've never had offices anyway. And it's kind of nice. I mean, I've that's one reason I was drawn to 3Share. And I mean, 3Share th- actually was um, the, the uh, consultancy that worked on at a company that I was working for. They were doing the work for them. And so I ended up at three share, like I met them first and then I ended up working for them. But one of the things I liked was that it was remote. And so, and a lot of friends were always jealous, like, Oh, you're remote. That's so cool. Cause I could just go travel and see friends and see people. And, um, you know, I could stay in Oregon for a week and just work and I wouldn't have to worry about it. And so, um, I was surprised at how many people didn't like working remotely once they got to, you know, but then I do think there, it's a totally different thing and you have to really, know how to like set up your workspace and kind of draw boundaries in your life and stuff like that, which I've been really bad at um, quite often in my life. But yeah, it, it was easy for us. It was harder for us in the sense that everyone else was doing it. And then all of a sudden you're getting emails at weird times. You're like, wait, you're supposed to be like on your commute, but you know, they're not commuting anymore. And so <laughs> other people had to learn boundaries, I think, you know. So top, top three tips for an expert in home officing. You've uh, you've been doing it for about five years now, right? Mm-hmm. What would you say? Um, yeah, exactly. uh, most important: drawing boundaries, um, getting a proper setup, and 
What else would you say? Yeah, yeah, definitely drawing boundaries, like knowing that. Well, and boundaries throughout the day. So when you're at an office, you're not seated at your desk for eight hours straight, not getting up, not engaging with people, not getting coffee or going to the bathroom or whatever you're doing. You're not doing that. You're actually often away from your desk. And so I think when people first start working from home, they felt like pressure to always be at their desk. And so that's just one thing. But then also like you're starting in time, like just because your desk is five feet away doesn't mean you should start. And I did that this morning, to be honest, I got right online, like in bed, I just grabbed my computer and did, did something. And I was like, what's wrong with you? It's like seven 30. You're not <laughs> normally working at that time. Cause I'm not going to stop working at three today just cause I started then. And so I think it's just kind of allocating your time still and having respect for that. And, you know, if you normally had a commute, maybe go for a walk in the morning, but I just think that, so setting the boundaries and then, yeah, having a good setup, working from the bed is not a good idea. That's not where your job should be performed. Typically, if you're like an IT, you know, you should have a desk or something where you can work and a space that's separate from your living and your relaxing space because your brain needs the break, basically. And um, I used to think this is some of silly and like, you know, oh, like, you know, self-care, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's all important now. I mean, so yeah, have a space to work. And then um, I guess the third thing is just, you know, I guess extending on the boundaries thing, but just like make sure that you kind of, even with your phone and stuff, I mean, all that just when you're working remotely, like you don't have to be available 24 seven. You didn't before you don't have to now. And I think that's the mistake people make. And I, I, I mean, I'm speaking for as someone who's done it and who does it a lot, who looks at my email and I shouldn't and 1am before I go to bed or something. And I start answering things and I have to tell myself no, and don't even set that expectation with people, you know? Absolutely. And I think one thing that we've been uh, talking about quite frequently is, is like, how do you quantify work nowadays anyway? Um, it used to be so easy uh, yeah, like when you're not in these kind of consultancy jobs, I guess. Um, like if, if you're really um, you know, doing a service of some sort, um, which we do also, um, and um, I guess it's easier to quantify like if you're um i don't know coding for eight hours it's you can you can say okay that's worth so and so much um but then we have like people also um who might not be um like working on something mm -hmm. specific for eight hours and then they uh you know they leave their desk but it doesn't mean that they've like stopped working in their heads um, and that's what you were saying before also um is you need those spaces in between to be able to kind of process the information mm -hmm. that you've gained um, and how how like how does that come out in into some sort of um you know, solution i guess um you need those those moments of of space um w yeah which doesn't mean that you're not working um in those moments yeah yeah, a lawyer would bill you for that, you know? <laughs> so, but I think too, yeah, there's this temptation to like for, so me, so I'll tell you as a project manager, one of my jobs, I mean, is to schedule meetings, right? To bring people together to make decisions. And I try to be very cognizant about what meetings I'm scheduling and when and how often, because like I'll have the guys in, you know, like if we're doing a changeover from one sprint to another and if people aren't aware of what that means, it's just like you have these like periods of time where you're going to get a specific body of work done and then you start the next 
set of time or whatever. And so there's like transition meetings that happen during that. And I try to be very careful about how much time I'm having developers, especially in a meeting, because the context switching is very, very difficult. And it happens to people who aren't in development too, mm-hmm. um, where you know, you're going from working on one task and focus to working on another and the chats coming in are a distraction and then the meetings, it takes time to get back into it. And so I think people need to give themselves a little bit of grace when they're transitioning from one thing to another, but also just, yeah, you have to process and sit and think. So developers are not typing the entire time. And as a project manager too, I mean, when, when I look at like what we can get done in a sprint, I have to like say, look, 80% of the time is actually working or something like that, like actively working or 75, it's not a hundred percent. You don't manage to, cause no one's doing that. No one's sitting there. They're going to be a meeting. It's going to be disrupted. And um, it's hard. And I think too, like people who went from an office to like just remote, they aren't having those conversations or interactions they might've had before. And I think it's okay. Even now a year and a half on, if you're missing that, like you can tell your friend, Hey, I was going to grab coffee at 10 do you want to chat for 10 minutes and time box it, but still have those interactions that you had before? That's okay. I mean, my friend and I do that at work um, once a week, me and this guy um, who lives in Spain, we just have like in the morning, like I'll start a little bit earlier and just we'll chat for a half hour because we used to do that and now we don't, you know, kind of thing. So that's important. Yeah. Uh, how, how did you get started with, um, with your podcast, like where did that idea come from? Where did you get your guests? And, and you're very prolific. You're much more prolific than we are. You've got like uh, three seasons and like 60 episodes almost, 50? Yeah, about 50, I think. Yeah, actually, well, maybe not that many, but yeah, quite a few. Um, Well, so I did podcasting about 15 years ago. I had a podcast called Pirate Pods with some friends and we were like, kind of like, playing off the pirate radio thing, but we were interviewing bands like musicians and some artists and stuff. And it was really cool. I mean, it was before anyone was doing it. So you're just recording on your phone and, you know, we just go to a a show and be like, Hey, can we talk to you? And like, talk to, I mean, we had Sia, but like a long, long, long time ago, you know, people like that where you're like, Whoa, how'd we get them? Um, but, but yeah, so I missed that. I, I, had this thing about like, I, like I said, I always like to write. I like to talk to people and know about them. And I think everyone's story, everyone has a story. I think they can have a really powerful story. And so I thought about doing a podcast for years and I finally had time. I had this weird, like I had this breakup in last year in the middle of the year, I was dating someone and then they ghosted me after five months. So we're not going to get into all that, but that kind of freed up space and time for me because I wasn't wasting my time thinking about them and talking to them. And so when he did that, I was like, oh, I'm going to get revenge. I'm going to create a cool podcast. <laughs> um, I don't really know if that re- was revenge against him, but it's fine. Um, and so I had time to plan. And I think the theme that I had dealt with throughout my life and I'd seen friends go through is that work defines pe- a lot of people. And work had defined me so many times. And I think for people, like especially during the pandemic too, like if you were defined by work and, and your life had changed so there was no way like people either lost their job or their job changed or that those aspects of life changed it's really it became difficult and um I had gone through several like burnouts type of things and I'd seen friends to like be let go for a job after 13 years not to any fault of their own but just because the company changed 
and then feel like they had no value because they're like, well, I can't do anything anywhere else. I've been here for so long. I don't know what I'll even do. It's like, oh, that's really horrible that people feel that way about themselves just because something happened at work. So I created more than work. I mean, I just wanted to kind of like look at people who either found their self-worth, like they found things to do outside of work that um, have meaning or that, you know, kind of help define them more fully or their pursued work that reflects their values, which um, part of it was to me going through this crisis of what do I want to do? Service being very important to me. I feel like sometimes I'm doing this work and it doesn't matter. Um, And so part of this is part of almost my service to like show other people, oh, you can have meaning outside of work. And so that's kind of why I did it. And then um, it's been fun. I mean, I, I do tell my personal story sometimes and um, I, you know, hoping it helps people, but then also um, guess I just find either people I know that are doing stuff or I'll find people I think are cool. Like I had this one woman from the Biden campaign on my podcast and I just like slid into her DMs. I was like, hey, I attended a training you did for volunteers. I thought it was awesome. I'd love to have you on my podcast. And she just agreed. And I was like, all right, <laughs> you know, um, I had this guy from this organization I really love called To Write Love on Her Arms. They're they're um, like a suicide prevention, self-harm prevention organization. And I had followed them for 15 or more years. I, I became aware of them. They were in the music space also. And so I wrote to them and I tried to interview the founder and they said, well, we have a different guy. Can you do that one? I said, yeah. And so I got to interview him and then introduce that organization to people. So just stuff like that. It's been really awesome for me. I really love it. Interviewed Iggy Pop's bassist just because I met him at a bar in Camden and talked to him and he wouldn't be on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, just different people. It's it's fun to, to just, I can put anyone on there. It's my podcast. So I can kind of do what I want. It's kind of cool exactly and that's how we like to kind of do it as well um we just we just invite people that we'd like to talk to so it's it's it it kind of feels like such a such a nice kind of way to not just get to know someone but also to kind of like spread the word and and you know where does your inspiration come from and all those kind of things and and uh, that's the kind of stuff that we're kind of most interested in can i can i maybe ask you because you've used the word service a couple times now what, what does that mean to you what do you mean by service Sure. Yeah. I mean, and that's something I've defined over throughout my life. I mean, I, I think service can come in different forms. So it can be like physically going and helping someone. It can be donating money. Like maybe you're just your resource that you have to give is money. So you do that. Um, some people don't have that and their resource to give is their time. Um, it could be just also like to an organization. It could just be to an individual. Maybe someone just has an old neighbor they check on. You know, I think that's still, that's giving something. And so over time, I think I've found like most people have something to give. They have a gift that, that they can use. Um, And it's kind of like, if I feel like I have a lot and I've been lucky, I've been lucky in many ways. Um, And so part of that, like part of what I do with that is I, I give, (laughs) back and so like for me service personally service has been like doing voter registration and stuff in in a political sense and then um well like this is a personal thing but I don't mind sharing I mean I was diagnosed with uh, multiple sclerosis 20 years ago and so I was really young and when I was diagnosed I didn't know what to do I mean I kind of panicked and stuff but then a, a year or two later I decided okay there are other people like me so I started like a support group for people who were in their 20s, because it was very, very different than 
back then then and we're not in our 60s we're trying to date we're trying to like hang out and just have fun and so I started a support group and then that kind of led to my like a long stint of doing um things for the MS society because they were really like a solid organization and so for me that's kind of I've been really lucky with that like with how that disease has progressed for me so I try to give back to an organization that I know helps people but yeah that's what it is for me and I, I try to encourage all my friends and family to do something I know that's probably annoying to them sometimes but I do strongly believe that we all have something to contribute to others and so yeah that's how it that's how it is for me and I also like you know I mean I'm silly and do other stuff but that's the serious part of me I guess you know yeah that's amazing to hear um uh yeah I, I was hoping to to give you the the opportunity to plug like things you support in in that end and on your website you have another one called shatterproof mm. if you wanted to have a couple of words about that so yeah, I mean, this is just like, I don't know that I, I don't want this podcast to be heavy for your listeners. I don't think it needs to be things happen in all our lives. And I hope people just hear it and say, okay, you know, this is how we deal with things that happen. Um, Shatterproof is a US based organization that um, is focused on like opioid and um, alcohol, um, substance abuse disorder or addiction, depending on, you know, how you how you uh, say it. And um, I lost my brother like 12 years ago to an accidental opioid overdose. And that was again, a, a time where it's just like, man, like, what do you even do with all that grief and pain and guilt? There, guilt for me, I've written a couple articles for them. Um, one thing I do is write, so I'll, I'll write stories or opinion pieces and, um, just about the guilt. And so I found that organization and the founder had lost his son. And he was a businessman and he decided I'm going to do something about this. So other families don't go through it. And so he like focuses on legislation and treatment and stuff like that in the U S because in the U S I mean, it's been, I know the problems everywhere, but in the U S I mean, it's been very nasty with like pharma, the pharmaceutical companies that push these things in the first place. And so um, I found them and I ended up being willing to talk about it with other people and became an ambassador, if you will, for them. And so yeah, I just, I like organizations that are really actively doing things to, to bring change. And so maybe it's part of my activism and political activism that I end up doing it in nonprofits. But yeah, so thanks for asking about that. So it's just been a big organization for me to support. Um, but I think for me, it's just about taking what's happened and turning it into something else. Um, and not in an, a way that's like so grossly optimistic where it's like, oh, nothing bad happens. So bad stuff happens, but you can build up your resilience by like figuring out how to deal with it once you get through that initial like shock and grief and stuff like that. And that's, that's, I think what I've tried to do. Yeah. 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 Thanks very much. Um, so we'll, we'll add links for those, um, uh, two organizations in in the description. Um, is there anything else you, you'd like to plug or, um, your, your podcast, uh, say again, what's it called? Where can people find it? Yeah, sure. It's called more than work or, if you search more than work podcast, cause I didn't realize that there was another <laughs> more than work when I started mine, uh, for some reason. Um, I think I've, I've dominated the SEO on it now though, but, um, yeah, <laughs> so you can check out, I mean, they're all one-off episodes. So there's, you can just listen to any one where you find a guest that you think is cool. And, um, if you think you'd be a good guest or whatever too, you can shoot me an email. Um, all the contact information is on the, the post for that, but yeah, I, I'd love if people listen to that. So, Thank you. No, thank you. Um, yeah, I think we're going to 
start winding down here. I think we're all a bit time constrained, probably in a new meeting in five minutes for most of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, work. <laughs> yeah, exactly, work. I, thank you, Rabia, so much for your time. Um, it's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, visit uh, More Than Work podcast, uh, SEO domination. Uh, we'll let you find it. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think your website is rabiasaid.com. Yeah. Uh, with all the information and, and yeah it's been it's been a real, real pleasure thank you very much cool thanks you guys it's really fun thank you so much Ravia it's been a pleasure we have reached the end of this digital experience podcast thanks for listening for further information about us please head over to weawondrous.com